Hello and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Conrad Sanders, the CEO of The Creative Copywriter. We're going to be exploring why you need to revisit your customer journey so that you're producing timely, relevant, valuable content instead of the usual pap that most organizations are driveling out. We're going to explore why making assumptions about your messaging is probably a dangerous act and why you need to listen to your customers. Your customers are by far your best teachers. Most of the information that you need to sell is probably contained in your customer success data or your customer support data because they speak to customers six, seven hours a day. Your reps speak to customers maybe three minutes a day. Look at the full funnel, not just the top, the middle and the bottom of the funnel, but what about after? We know from the research that an expansion sale typically within SaaS is worth 12, uh, 1150% profit, whereas a new business sale, a new logo is worth 18. Now, yes, we have to grow our customer base, but actually expanding customers is a more mature way of going about it. Stop trying to have sex with your customers on the first date. You've got to slow down. This is a courtship process. So we're going to be exploring how you can use content strategically and tactically to play the longer game in order to get coverage within accounts, to make sure that you stand out, you're not swallowed up, so that you differentiate in a market that is noisy, competitive, and God knows in this market, many people are trying to cut costs and they're not looking at new spend. So you better be fit playing this long game. And we're going to explore something called the dark funnel. And I'm not going to give anything away on that. And we're also going to focus on what you measure, because what you measure drives behavior. And very often, the attribution is all us about face. So on that happy note, Conrad, welcome. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for that warm introduction. Pleasure. I like, I like, I like the, the concept of not having sex on the first date. I usually say don't propose on the first date, but that's a little bit more graphic, a bit more <laughs> attention grabbing. So I might I might steal that from you. <laughs> You're very welcome to. Uh, I find being um, more offensive and shocking makes me mildly more memorable. Could you give the audience 60 to 90 seconds on your history, please, and how you ended up setting this business up? Yeah, that's a, that's a toughie because I tend to... Um, go on tangents and elongate things but right let me let me attempt to do so in a short amount of time so history I always like writing I went to uni studied philosophy came out of that went to Australia did some face-to-face sales learned some sales psychology which I would later use in the the form of you know written word met my now wife uh, who's from Israel originally she's also the managing director of of our agency which is why I'm uh, bringing her into the story and traveled around Australia and Asia for for a year and a half ended up in Israel without a work visa so I studied online tried to see what could I do without a work visa learned the beautiful art and science of copywriting but also SEO the two things are very powerful it's a powerful combo because basically SEO is about taking an outside in approach you know using data and keyword searches to create content um, based on demand, what people are searching for. So that was kind of the beginnings of setting myself up as a freelance copywriter. I built a website called The Creative Copywriter and a blog started writing about my creative copywriting journey, offering selfless value, tips, tricks, et cetera, around that. Got a ton of traffic and then turned that into an agency. 
And, you know, since then, it kind of set us up for success because we've got an agency on page one of Google for creative copywriting and for copywriting agency. And along with, you know, some great branding decisions and then bringing my wife in at in 2017 to be the kind of yin to my yang. She's got a very <laughs> different brain to me. She's like an operational guru. I'm more of the visionary, you know, face of the company, mm -hmm. uh, the creative we work very well together. And since 2017, we've been growing quite rapidly. So 40 to 30% growth year on year. And here we are in 2023 now. Um, so we've got a, an agency called The Creative Copywriter. Excellent. Okay, well, let's start with what is the customer journey, really? And why do marketers and salespeople, vendors generally, misunderstand it? Yeah, good question. I think uh, there's this there's this thing I like to call outside in thinking or outside in an outside in approach, which is actually the approach I I took to you know building the agency yeah. itself. As I said, it was built on a, on 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 keyword search terms rather than me going. You know what? I'm really good at baking cakes. I'm going to you know set up a cake store on this road, and 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 there's no foot traffic and no one in that area likes cakes for example and it fails miserably i feel like so many business decisions are based on this inside out approach you know a gut feel like i know what's going to be a good idea this and the same is when it when it comes to marketing i think so many marketers and, and brands and companies just base their decisions on what they think will work rather than taking this outside in approach and looking at you know the customer journey as you mentioned where are your customers out there? What stage of awareness are they at? And how can we, you know, pull them down a customer journey, selling the next step rather than, as you said, having sex on the first day or proposing on the first day? How can we, you know, take them on this journey towards conversion and beyond? And I think that a good, well, one way that we look at it is through the, the five stages of awareness, which was coined by Eugene Schwartz many moons ago um, in, in his book Breakthrough Advertising. We've actually, we actually say there are six stages of awareness. So I'll kind of dig into that. You know, out there in the world, your target audience, your target prospect will be at one of these six, six stages of awareness. Number one, unaware. So unaware that they even have a problem, right? They, that pain point. Usually we we tend to not market to market to those people because it's a little bit harder to persuade someone they need your pro product or service if they don't even feel the pain. However, in some cases, you might need to build awareness about the problem. And that's what you should be doing if you're trying to sell to those people, if you're trying to create messaging for those people. The first step, if they're unaware, is to, you know, build awareness of the problem and make them problem aware. That's the next stage. So some of your target audience out there will be problem aware, maybe because you've educated them about the problem, maybe just because they are feeling that pain, they're feeling that problem. So how do we talk to prospects who are problem aware? Again, we don't want to just try to sell our product at that point. We don't want to propose to them. It's a courtship, as you've mentioned before. We want to take them on some dates first. We want to schmooze them. And 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 the, as I mentioned, we want to sell the next step in that funnel. Messaging-wise, we should be educating them about the solutions. So I, for example, have, you know, lower back pain. I've got scoliosis, so it's something I've suffered from all my life. So I might be typing into 
Google, you know, um, lower back pain, for example, like what to do. And I'm I'm pain aware, I'm problem aware at that point. So uh, if a company was selling ergonomic furniture, for example, what they should be doing in terms of their content and messaging is educating about the solutions. So for example, an article, you know, 12 different ways to help with your lower back pain might be the kind of article probably with a more creative name than that but that just came off the top of my head might be the sort of article that would get their attention and would first of all attract them at that stage and sell the next step which is the solutions so within that article whether it's an article or a video or some other piece of content ergonomic furniture would probably be one of the solutions but it's not the only solution so at that point they become solution aware Right. And prospects who are solution aware, again, should have a different type of messaging to pull them down to the next step. Mm-hmm. So, again, in, in order that what we should be doing to solution aware prospects is essentially highlighting benefits that favor your offering. So solution aware prospects are prospects that don't necessarily re- know yet know about your brand, your product, your solution. So what we should be doing is is, again, creating content that highlights the benefits that your offering provides. Then they become what Eugene Schwartz called product aware. We like to call it brand aware because I think product aware can be a bit misleading these days because we have services and products. And then at that stage, you know, they're further down the funnel. They're closer to being kind of in buying mode, ready to buy. So at that point, we kind of want to essentially persuade them that you're the best fit right? They're brand aware. They're aware that you exist. They're aware of you have something that may be right for them. They're not quite sure. So our job is, this is when it comes more into copy, conversion copywriting. At the top of the funnel, it's more about value-driven content marketing. At this stage, we want to persuade them that you're the best fit. Then the next stage of awareness is most aware. That's when they're kind of on the cusp of buying. They have all the information they need to make a decision and at this point, this is after brand awareness. This is after brand aware. Exactly. Exactly. So brand aware, historically called product aware. We like to call it brand yeah. aware. So they're most aware. They've got all that information they need. Right. This is where I guess it's often the, it's often the, the, the job of the salesperson to make a, make them an offer they can't refuse. Right. Make them the offer. Seal the deal. Those are essentially the five stages of awareness that a lot of marketers talk about. We've added one, which we think is really important. We call it truth aware. And this is after the sale point. This is in the after funnel stage, as you mentioned. So there's tofu, mofu, bofu. We call it afu, after funnel. Something that lots of marketers ignore, but such a crucial part of, of driving revenue. And if our goal is driving revenue, we should also be thinking about not just traffic, not just conversions, but customer lifetime value. So truth aware are people who know the truth, right? They either love or hate your product or service. They know most about what you offer because they've actually experienced it for themselves. And the goal in that at that stage for us is to increase customer lifetime value, upsell, cross-sell, turn them into brand advocates, push referrals, etc and there's so much that that's really think. about habituating the use isn't it yeah that too exactly depending on what you're selling and again the reason why i mentioned this this part because and obviously we're a copywriting and content strategy agency copying content can come into play and can really help 
habitualize the use of whatever it is you're selling, right? You don't want them just to, let's say it's a SaaS platform to, you know, subscribe, but not really use it, not really get value from it. So you can really use content sequences, drip emails to kind of give them extra value and also help them, yeah, utilize it in the best way. And then push, you know, push referrals, et cetera, and, uh, and the other things I mentioned. This smells to me of an issue that's certainly made significantly worse by the lack of alignment and uh, the lack of cooperation that tends to occur, occur across marketing, sales, CS, the lead gen team, product development. Because if we actually listen to the customer, they would tell us what the unmet needs are, where the unsatisfied demands are. They tell us what problems they have using us or a competitor. And I think part of the problem is that we've created this adversarial setup where we're trying to sell to and convince people. Their natural defense system kicks in and they build resistance. I mean, the number of times, I mean, I've already had three approaches today and it's only midday on LinkedIn, people trying to sell me lead generation services with really, really awful approaches. And it must be soul destroying because they've been given this task and they seem to have nothing but these terrible points of reference. So let's start with, if you want to write fantastic copy, what would you suggest people do to prepare themselves in terms of the research, the uh, areas, the topics that they need to study to get good at this. I mean, there's no point being average at copywriting because average at copywriting means no one ever reads your shit. Yeah, if you want to be average, use ChatGPT because the data set it's built on is what's out there on the internet. And to be honest, what's out there on the internet is average overall, right? You need to stand out. But yeah, very good question. Like, where do you start? And I was kind of alluded to it with this whole outside in approach. The point being, start from the outside in. Don't start from your own idea of, I think this copy will be great. Let me write it down. So by that, I mean doing the research, right? And gathering the data. So the way that we do it, depending if it's, you know, on the client we're working with and their customers, whether it's B2B, B2C, high consideration decision or not, we would often do buyer interviews for that kind of depth. So we would talk to ideally, you know, eight to 10 customers of our of our clients, not just customers. I need to add that point because actually what we always try to push to speak to not just their actual customers, their clients, but prospects who went through the sales funnel and actually opted out. They didn't convert them in the end. Those prospects, if we can talk to them, right, because one of the things we're trying to uncover from these buyer interviews is there is common perceived barriers. The prospects that they didn't manage to seal the deal with had such high objections that they actually decided to go elsewhere. If we can understand those, we can preempt it in our copy and our content. It's it's interesting. Daryl Stickle has developed a wonderful formula around trust. And uh, he says that uncertainty times vulnerability equals perceived risk. And if that uncertainty is too high, 
or risk is uh, raised above their threshold, that's when you end up with closed loss, no decision. And at least half of those are in your CRM are probably in closed loss, no decision because the seller or your copy or content, whatever you did at that point, drove the customer into stasis where they thought better do nothing, it's safer. Because buyers spend most of the buying cycle catastrophizing about, about what will go wrong if they buy and they put their signature to the contract. So I think this is really where copy can come into its own, which is creating that feeling of their psychological safety. That's it. And there are many ways to do it, right? There are many. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to build that trust. You're trying to knock down and preempt barriers that they will naturally have. As you mentioned, like the, the general kind of status quo, the general feeling of someone approaching a brand is almost like distrust in a way, because, you know, arguably, why would you trust a company telling you that they are the right fit and going to get you results? They are naturally going to say that. That's the job of the marketer or salesperson. They're, you know, they're being paid to tell you that they're the right fit for you. So, and all of the competitors are saying they're the right fit, right? So why would you naturally just trust the copy of, of, of every brand? Like they're trying to sell to you. So naturally, there are things that you need to do. And like I said, starting from a place of data, buyer interviews, trying to understand when we run those buyer interviews, we we dive into these five areas of buying insight. So what was the initial trigger or pain point? That's number one. Number two is what's the kind of end desire, the end goal? What are they hoping to achieve? How do they describe it? Number three is perceived barriers, as I mentioned. So common perceived barriers. What are the objections during that sales cycle? Number four are comparison factors. What three to five things are they using to compare you or did they use to compare you with competitors? Whether they came on board or not, they would have had comparison factors. And number five is the buyer's journey. So who and what do they trust during that kind of decision-making process? We uncover those things when interviewing the clients or customers of our clients. And then we transcribe the interviews and then we pull quotes out, organize them according to those five areas of buying insight. And another really cool thing we do, I, I think it's cool, at least because I'm a copywriting nerd. We highlight voice of customer data. So we highlight language, words and phrases that they've actually used to describe all of these things. What's great about that is, you know, sometimes you're highlighting words that are common, right? you know, six out of the 10 have used that word or phrase. Sometimes it's just things that have been said so beautifully, right, with such raw emotion, it's done the job of the copywriter, right? That's going to be your landing page header because it's come from the horse's mouth, so to speak, right? It's much more likely to convert other prospects like them because it's come from them. It's not come from you or the copywriter that you've hired to write that. So weaving voice of customer language into your copy and content is a very powerful way to resonate, to tap into those, those, those actual pain points, those actual desires in the same voice or language that is likely to resonate with them. Quick question then. If you can't, for some reason, political or otherwise, do those 10 customer interviews, where else might you be able to find the voice of the customer? Good question. So look, if you can't 
do buyer interviews and this is a, a sometimes a problem you know we're right now onboarding a railway cyber security company and there are sensitivities and legal sort of reasons why we can't basically can't talk to their customers so yeah there are those barriers you can't if you can't send out a survey if you can't run buyer interviews or do focus groups you can do you know implicit data collection so desktop research in some in some cases again if you've got depending on on you know who we're working with here but in some cases they've got Amazon reviews, you can do review mining, you can look at any testimonials and you can get voice of customer language from what's been written by people online. You can dive into Reddit and other kind of online platforms where people are are talking about these things. But again, so there's desktop kind of implicit data collection, there's explicit data collection if you can, if you can actually talk to people. I would say that the next best thing after a buyer interview with an actual buyer is talking to the salesperson. So the closest person to the to the buyer is usually the salesperson who's gone through that process and had lots of conversations with them. So if we can't talk, if we're doing, you know, working with a B2B company, we want to run buyer interviews and we can't talk to them. We will talk to, you know, state internal stakeholders and ideally salespeople. And we kind of get them to say, all right, don't tell me what you think. Imagine you are client A, right? And and get them to tell the story as though they're in the shoes of, of, of that buyer and to try and unravel those same insights. Interesting. I'm of the mind that customer success data and customer service data should contain a lot of the information and insight that we need because salespeople generally especially now, I find it very difficult to actually get in front of or speak to customers. Whereas CS are dealing with customers day in, day out, dealing with their complaints, their concerns, onboarding, provisioning people, setting people up, training, all that kind of stuff. And it it strikes me that there's a wealth of information that sales and marketing are missing because they're not going into that CS data. I mean, what's your experience of going into people's CS? It's actually a really good point. I suppose the points that I was trying to unravel, those five areas of buying insight, are really looking into the mind of the buyer during that process prior to conversion, you know, what's going on. But I suppose as important perhaps is, is understanding, you know, the actual customer experience of the tool, of the product, or of the service. So I think talking to, you know, diving into CS, talking to account managers um, who talk regularly to their customers and understand you know partners partners are going to have really good insight if you know if they're a decent partner and they've been serving that client for a while uh, they'll have a better understanding of strategy they'll have good understanding of the politics and the personalities and if you align with what they are trying to sell more of to that customer and you find a way of helping them to do that then they can hand deliver you with all of their personal credibility and the history of the relationship. The other area that really fascinates me is there isn't more coordination and collaboration between the different functions, because I think what seems to have happened is we all get a little bit of insight, but we're not bringing it together and we're not aligning around the customer. So one of the things that I'm working on this year, and I'm very excited because I think I may have found a solution, yippee, is to build a war room 
And I want to create a safe space where I can work with my clients and my partners and my competitors on the customer's problem. Because I've got a different perspective, I think, to many, because I'm not that interested in the transaction. I'm interested in working with a customer for 10, 15 years. I'm interested in being able to hand it on to my successors. And I want them to be successful, which means that I'm long-term self. I want to get paid. I'm not doing it as a charity, but I do want to get them the outcome that they originally intended. And I can't do that on my own because I'm one cog in the machine. They're dealing with really messy, gnarly, complex, wicked problems that start with the investors, the compensation, how you measure, who you hire, the companies in the portfolio, your um, beliefs and approach to the customer, your employees, uh, whether you believe that you should create a great place for people to work or you should drive them all uh, to the bone. So all of this stuff works together to create the environment that the salespeople sell from, marketers market from customers buy in and unless you get that coordination then chances are you're going to spend a lot of time marketing to people who are never going to buy you're going to be missing the unmet need and the unidentified demand and you're going to be driving a lot of good viable prospects into the arms of your competition and in this day and age in this market i would have thought the opposite of that would be a really good thing yeah i i mean you touched on a a crucial point and bottleneck to, to success, which is lack of collaboration between those different functions and, and departments, which is, it feels like it just happens. You get to a certain size, right, of, of scale up and things naturally have to kind of segment, right? There has to be some kind of organizational structure, but they just go off into their own little silos and don't talk to each other. And yeah, we're seeing that as it's so, it's so common. And I've showed you before, Marcus, uh, one of the, the tools that we use is a customer acquisition map. You know, uh, we call it a CAM workshop, or we do several workshops where we try to at literally kind of join the dots by drawing out the various customer journeys from traffic through to like post-sale, that AFU stage. And, you know, in cases where we're working with, you know, so we're working with like big, big corporates, like multi-billion dollar companies, especially in that scenario, we're talking to the marketing team, various different, different people within the marketing team and drawing out the customer journeys. And then when we get to the sale point, there's, there's a big question mark. They don't know what's happening there, right? They really don't know. And then it comes back to that idea of full funnel. They're not doing full funnel tracking. They're sometimes literally, you know, kind of, well, not literally, but butting heads with the sales team and vice versa. You know, sales are kind of not respecting what marketing are doing. They think it's just fluff. And for that reason, they don't have that open dialogue, that communication, and they're not looking at the data. And so what happens is the core often the goal of the marketing team is or the, whether it's given or not is 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 leads right how many leads are we going to generate for example if you're not focused on revenue you know that should be the end goal everyone should be focused on revenue if you're focused on the amount of leads then you could be sending duds through you could say oh yeah we hit our uh 10,000 leads for this month there we go our job is done let's pat, pat each other but, on well, the that back. happens all the time 
I'm going to push back a little because I think we've got to rethink. In an era where we could scale at pace because money was free, it didn't matter when customers made profit, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, there was a general sense of positivity and abundance and people would spend, uh, large, uh, often out of fear of missing out because your next uh, competitor next door bought a piece of technology, so you have to buy it. And then someone else bought one, you have to buy something else. And so th- it ended up in this arms race. And I think we've forgotten that we exist because of the customer, not in spite of them. They're not an inconvenience. The reason companies exist is to serve the customer. And in serving the customer appropriately and correctly, then we make a profit, which means that we have money to reinvest and to grow. But most tech businesses certainly don't really operate or haven't really operated under that model. Real companies, normal businesses do. There was a study I saw about 18 months ago of the top 100 SaaS companies, and the median profit margin was 0% from the top 100. You take Salesforce out of that, and it's a square root of fuck all, or worse, worse than. So the reality is that customers want outcomes. What they want are solutions to their problems, and the company has a job to be done. It's whatever the, you know, the board's mission is, whatever. Now, everyone in the company has to execute their part of that job. Now, with these interviews, the customer interviews, I think one of the most interesting things is not only to interview customers and non-buyers, so people who could have bought but didn't, the close yeah. lot no decisions, but also people who fired you, people who are using your product in unusual ways, do it using it as a workaround, or working around your product because they find it inconvenient or they were happier with their uh, previous proposition. Because more often than not, what I see is things are badly sold and badly bought. And that combination is lethal. And you add to that the added complexity of massive turnover. So the people who were originally trained in the product you misbought uh, have now gone on to something else. And so you have to buy something else to make up the functionality. And I think a lot of the tech space has been built up from those. not They're not real sales. They're not real customers. They're customers who bought and are going to churn very quickly. And you look at the the churn rates in a lot of these companies, we're talking 15, 20%. 15% means you lose half your customers every three years, and you have to replace half your customers to stand still. That's not good business. Definitely. And I I suppose it's, again, we're a content strategy and copywriting agency, right? And Arguably, our main focus is marketing. We work with marketing departments, and a lot of what what we're talking about now is so much is so much further beyond that, right? Because it's it's down to revenue, and 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 I think that that's really important that we're talking about it because it's really important for us as an agency if we're delivering value. As I said, our end goal is to help companies drive revenue, revenue, and grow. So what might what's interesting is that, and this I want to write a LinkedIn post about this. Um, some of the value we provide our clients is well beyond what you would really expect a copywriting agency to do. I'll give you an example, creating internal comms for them. So newsletters to go around from, let's say, marketing department to other stakeholders, other other salespeople to help them 
to help foster the relationship to help build the relationship we're literally there trying to make people friends who are traditionally not friends and not speaking to each other to help them understand each other so that we can build that bridge and then get and then ideally open the doors to communicating the data so that what happens is again the type of clients that are you know that 20 percent of clients that are driving 80 percent of the revenue right they're the type of clients that the it, that information is fed back to the marketing team they understand who those people are so that they can actually hone in and laser focus on bringing in more of you know those high revenue drivers rather than focusing on as you said the wrong type of leads the the prospects that are going to come in and who are less likely to convert first of all and when they do convert are more likely to churn quickly and just have a lower customer lifetime value that's why i come back to that customer lifetime value if we understand who is bringing in you know that 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 who are the who are the who are the type of clients and customers that are sticking around and spending more money and that information is fed back from accounts to sales to marketing everyone's be you know communicating with each other then we can it can affect the top top of the funnel you know how we focus our, our marketing messaging well it, it also affects the bottom of the funnel in conversion because if you have good data and you can verify and uh, attribute the revenue to what you have done uh, in terms of the managing the customer journey then you can give marketing something it lacks which is financial credibility and the challenge i think that a lot of marketers face is that when they ask for money very often it's rebutted because they don't put it in the context that the finance team uh, and the procurement team are likely to buy it. So if you're doing this, it's really important to do your research. Understand the industry in which that CFO is making the decision. Understand the landscape and what's happening in that marketplace. So when you go back to them, and you build your case. You've looked at their profit and loss. You've been able to analyze what is going on in the PL, and you can align what you're proposing with the financial objectives of the CFO. Now, if you do that and you're starting that process early, and this is where I think content can be fantastically useful in terms of educating your audience to how to build your financial credibility and build your financial case and point them in the right direction so that they're doing the donkey work. Because once it's their data and they're building the case, they're going to come back to the people who provided them with the most value. Because our job in sales is to make sure that the customer feels safer with us next to them, beside them on that buying journey than without us. Because if it's difficult to let us go, they'll continue to share confidences. And if it doesn't look like we're going to win the deal, well, what else can uh, you know we do to bring value to both sides? Do we just bug out, or do we continue to be their ally and get referrals? Yeah, I think you raised a really interesting and good point there about the essentially it's the different decision makers involved there. Um, and when I mentioned those five areas of buy, buying insight, the fifth one was buyer's journey and that's really about understanding you know who and what do they trust and who who's involved 
in that decision-making process, which is key because, you know, you would usually have a buyer. For us, a buyer is, is the person that's kind of interacting with your content, the one that's making most of those steps. They might not be the actual final decision-maker or they might be the first port of call, but then he said, the decision comes over to the CFO or a CTO or someone else, or there are multiple people. Maybe they need to get their, their team's input as well. So the more you can understand about that landscape, the more that you can influence the right people in the right way. And I'll give you an example. Um, we work with a company called Air Plus, and you know, we've created some kind of email drips for them. Their main target buyer are, are travel managers, but their procurement officers are very important, right, in this kind of buying decision. So understanding that landscape helped us to kind of plan content whereby, well, I'll give you an example. One, one email, we basically said the subject line was forward this on to your procurement manager because we knew that the travel manager was the person interacting with the marketing content. We wanted to get through to the procurement officer and we, we knew what their pain points were. We knew what they were looking for. And we knew that, it, you know, in order for, for the travel managers to kind of get what they wanted, they had to get the okay from the procurement manager. So we created a piece. It was very successful. They just giving that instruction, forward this on. We're kind of getting into these different influencers, you know, people who, who and, and decision makers. And how, how does this differ from account-based marketing and account-based selling? Is it an integral part of that? Yeah, I, I guess like for me, account-based marketing and account-based selling, there's this kind of, I suppose people see it in, in uh, ABM in, in different ways, right? There's different kind of un, different understand, people understand it in different ways. Like for, for us, content marketing in general should be as tailored and as personalized as possible i think abm in a sense is just one step further in that direction right where you know with content marketing and a content strategy we would always aim to try to create the right content for the right people right the right messaging for the right people at the right time and i'd say that abm is 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 just doing that but with a focus on very specific accounts which you've identified and you're going after you know account a maybe you know more about that specific company the specific company's needs rather than you know uh, uh, a buyer type that fits into that category so i think it's just doing all of the things that we aim to do with, with a good content strategy and good content marketing but focusing it on very specific accounts that you're going after where you can be slightly more tailored slightly more personalized and what we aim to do as well when we're kind of helping a company set up for for account-based selling because there's the selling side right which involves salespeople understanding their audience and and triggering things at the right times we we can create templates for the sales team to to use so that at the right time they can actually you know, send something out to a specific person at whatever point in that sales cycle they're in. Let's take a slight turn in that case, because um, I'm very curious to understand how you judge when a buyer is ready to buy. 
Uh, you said in the green room, and I agree, you can't sell to people who aren't ready to buy. What do you do to set up um, signals so that you can recognize when buyers are ready to buy? Are there any suggestions or recommendations that you can make so that people can start becoming maybe a little bit more customer aware instead of just piling out lots of cons and uh, not really paying attention to the response? Yeah, good question. I'll say, first of all, that while I talked about this nice, you know, six stages of awareness, right, this nice kind of like perfect funnel whereby, you know, if someone is at stage A, you want to take them to stage two and so on and so forth. The reality is, which we discussed briefly before the call, the reality is that prospects don't flow down the funnel in this like perfect order. Ziggy and Zaggy. Some will, but the reality is they jump around. Some of them will come in at different stages, then they'll come back in, then they'll tell a colleague who will jump in at a stage. And there's there's the dark funnel, as we mentioned, which is all the, the things that you can't quite track, things that happen. Are you describing everyone having their own individual buyer's journey and your job is effectively to uh, choreograph uh, them all arriving at one point at a, for the decision? Um, but you then have to uh, balance and uh, juggle uh, all those different. Uh, yeah, exactly. You have, you, have, stage. you have to balance and juggle and create content for all of your prospects who are at these different stages. And I think that's something that's often missed, like companies just trying to sell, right? Just creating like salesy content. Whereas if you understand there are these different stages, you want to create content for them. And there are different ways to different ways of identifying at what stage people are at. So I'll give an example when it comes to looking at keywords, right? Keyword analysis. If I mentioned before, back pain. All right. We're not let's let's it's just a simple analogy here, like a simple case to look at, because I'm literally feeling lower back pain right now. So my so, intent yeah, is very high. Yeah, it's a, a very, very. Well, most people do, do describe me as a pain in the ass, but <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, pain in the back. So uh, it's a very pungent pain point right now. You know, if if I was, you know, in terms of keyword research, if I'm typing into Google ways to help with back pain, right? Then we know from you know on the receiving end of that, if we look at kind of keyword research. Keyword um, phrases that align with that similar terms, whether I'm saying that or something similar, would mean that I'm most likely problem aware, right? I'm most likely at that stage. So I want to match some content up with with that intent, with that intent to be educated, right? With that, my intent is to find some solutions. So as a company that is selling ergonomic furniture, for example, then you would want to have a bucket of content that does catch, you know, that demand, that intent. Um, If I'm typing into Google ergonomic furniture shops near me or something like that, or or best chairs for lower back pain, then we can understand that the intent is different there, that that prospect is, is kind of further along in, in, in that funnel, in that, in that, you know, the funnel in terms of stages of awareness, they understand they're, they're solution aware, right? They, they're looking for something specific, you know, ergonomic chair for lower back pain, right? It's specific. They probably at some point in the past 
been problem aware and been educated, whether it was through your content or someone else's or a friend or a colleague or a family member or a doctor, that that's what they should get as a solution to their problem. So they're kind of further along there. So they're warmer, I would say. They're warmer. And at that point, you can probably do more to, as I said, push them in the direction, you know, get, you know, that your content, your copy can be a little bit warmer to match the temperature of the prospect. If you get them into an email drip, for example, um, and you fed them content, let's say it starts value-driven and educational, and they've continued to open your emails and they've clicked through to something, you know, there are these signals based on their, you know, kind of buying intent based on how they've interacted with your content. What piece of content have they clicked through and read? Have they read a landing page, you know, looking at a comparison between different ergonomic chair options, yours versus other brands or or or, or different the different products that you have on offer? Then they're probably much closer to, you know, to, to buying mode, right? Because they're looking at specific options there. In the SaaS world, it might be looking at, you know, different data science platforms to solve their needs. So I think you can, you know, we don't know. We can't get into the mind of every target prospect that's out there. That's the thing about digital, right? It's not quite the same as talking to someone, asking them questions and and, and, and having that discussion. Ideally, we want to get them into that position where they're talking to a salesperson. But prior to that, we can only do so much. And I think it's about... What content, what bait have they taken? Have they read uh, an article that's more top funnel, that's educational? They're probably not ready to buy then. You know, if they've read, you know, 12, I'm going back to the same example, you know, 12 ways to solve back pain, to help with my lower back pain, they're probably not ready to, to, to buy then. So we probably want to offer some kind of gated lead magnet, for example, to push them into a funnel so that we can get more signals via an email drip where you know again with email marketing we can see what they've interacted with what what links have they clicked what posts have they opened so based on the subject line what have they been interested in and we can kind of start to gauge you know how warm they are by that but with us with an email drip let's say they've downloaded a a, a lead magnet we tend to still keep it 70 on average 75% value driven and 25% salesy for want of a better word it might start more value driven we would use kind of weave case studies in to sort of preempt barriers um, if we understand what their common perceived barriers are from the from the buyer interviews we can knock them on the head knock those barriers down with our emails and then we start to get a little bit more salesy towards the end we try try to push them to the next stage, which might be a demo, a free de- or, a, or a free trial, or talk to uh, an advisor or a, an expert that can can offer you a, a free bit of wisdom, for example. So wh- one of the things that frustrates me, and I'm sure most of the people listening, is the lack of relevance um, that uh, most of the marketing drivel that we receive conveys. And, you know, it's poorly timed, it's poorly thought through, it's all about them, not about my issues and so on. So how do you actually get to really understand why your audience should give a shit? Back to that question, right? Why should they give a shit? 
it's a good question to ask yourself first of all yeah. whenever you're assessing any content any any marketing activities i think that's a great question to why should they give a shit i'll loop back to like that initial point which is data research understanding your audience running these buyer interviews to kind of dig into those pain points triggers desires etc all of that that's always a starting point for us whether we're doing helping a company with their core brand messaging so we you know when it comes to strategy we have two main offerings one we call brand dna which is when they haven't solidified their you know values value proposition core messaging those kind of foundational blocks for their brand and then we have content strategy which is building you know customer acquisition mapping building out the funnels uh creating structure and and, and a content calendar everything we kind of talked about we would start with buyer interviews for both of those or and or surveys we would start with digging deep to gather all of that information those five areas the voice of customer language because that lends itself to make to all of those decisions it lends itself to you know creating your core messaging it lends itself to um building you know your content buckets and building out email drips you know when we when we get to kind of we've got an email drip building methodology and we want to look for topics, right? You've got, let's say, a sequence of six emails over time. And you, someone has to think of like, what's going to be the main theme of that email? What's going to be the subject line? What's going to be the main theme? For us, it has to be inside led. So we'll, we'll dig deep. And if there's a common perceived barrier, let's say an obvious one, which is affordability, for example, then we might start a subject line with you get you know you get what you you pay for and there might be we might even start with a little story an analogy about how you know if you if you buy your clothes in primark you you end up going back and buying that buying a t-shirt every three months because it gets ruined in the wash and there's a nice little hook there a story and what we're doing is um ideally we then kind of lead into what their actual pain points are and focus it around whatever the product is but what we're doing is we're preempting that barrier and that, that becomes a theme that becomes the main topic of one of the emails in that drip. And ideally, it will resonate. It will resonate more. It will be timely and resonate more because it comes from a place of insight. It's, you know, it's knocking one of the barriers on its head. Um, prior to that, you might have an email in the drip which focuses on one of the core desires that we've identified from that that research stage you know what's the end goal that they're looking for base the topic of that email around that end goal so it's it's a stepping stone to creating the right content market the right content the right content assets the right strategy the right brand strategy you know again i keep at the risk of sounding like a broken record start with those insights start with those buyer interviews and or surveys to 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 glean that information do your bloody research. Don't yeah. be a lazy fucker and don't wing it. You've got to plan this stuff. My marketing is terrible because I, I react to a moment and I'm producing content for me. I'm not producing it to try and sell stuff. It's good material, but it doesn't work as marketing. What it does, it creates a good brand, personal brand, mm. but it doesn't meet the objective. And Conrad's advice is absolutely rock solid here. Do your research. 
Know your customer and understand what drives them. And don't play it safe whilst everyone else is playing it safe and sounding like everyone else. You need to stand apart. And the only way you're going to be doing that is by, through research. It's not going to be, uh, I mean, you might have a blinding flash of insight. Um, that's not a reliable process. That's not going to be repeatable. Um, and if it happens, you're just lucky. That's not a way to build a business. It's not a strategy. So we're coming to time now. I, I would like to end on a bit of advice that you can give people to stay out of their own way? How can you make sure that you're not letting your biases get in the way of good copywriting and good communication? Yeah, there's this thing called the curse of knowledge, right? Where we get stuck in our heads and you might write this chiseled marketing message and you've spent two months in the boardroom writing it. The reality is your your audience might have two seconds to read it before they decide oh screw this this isn't for me I'm not going to continue reading the body copy or click through to where they are so yeah understand that you need first of all to get out of your own head assumptions is the what's the phrase the the mother of all fuck-ups yep, um, but <laughs> so much marketing is led from assumptions so if we haven't drilled it in enough that's the first point um and then again, research, data, talking to your audience, it unravels so many things. You think you know so much about them, but think is the operative word there, right? You need to know. And by doing that, 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 that research, I, I would give a tip. I talked about the five areas of buying insight. It's not something we we coin a lot of things at, at the Creative Copywriter. We didn't come up with that. It's based on a book by personas by Adele Ravella from the Buyer Persona Institute. So naturally, they're very into buyer personas and creating them the right way, which is and uh, her name again, uh, Adele Ravella. Um, and yeah, the Buyer Persona Institute. So that's a great book to read if you really want to dig deep into how to run those interviews because there's a methodology around doing it in the right way. And yeah, without doing it, I mean, you just get these gold nuggets and those gold nuggets will help everyone. It's not just marketers. It's not salespeople. It's it's AMs. It's, it can even help define the product, you know, especially if you're kind of a startup on the route to kind of scaling up. It has to be iterative, right, in order for you to survive and thrive you, and grow. You learn by speaking to people you disagree with. You learn by speaking to your customers and the best bit are those intersectional moments. And if you ever need a, a point of reference, look at the Medicis in their 15th century Florence. What they did was they brought together lots of different talented people and they turned it into a melting pot where they ground up against each other. And uh, by doing that, they get better. And that's the real reason why diversity is a great idea. That's why you need to speak to lots of customers and you need lots of different people within your organization working in partnership with the customer around their problem. It's you and the customer against the, an open goal, which is their problem. And it's your job to help them come up with a solution that's sustainable. And you're probably only a part of it. So my final piece of uh, advice is look at the people who sell before you at the same time and after you and see at what point they enter the buyer's journey. 
uh, what part do they play in helping the customer solve their overall problem and get their job done uh, and see where you can inject yourself or have them inject you uh, into the customer's experience? Life is way too short. And this is where content, again, I think can be incredibly powerful. The next time I have you back, I'd like to explore how you can use content to build your partner network and help your partners sell more of what they already want to sell more of. Because I think that's a really interesting proposition. Yeah, I've got lots to talk about there. And um, if I can, if there's time for me to add one little point back Please. to what we just mentioned, you know, I was in a little uh, roundtable discussion just this morning for, you know, uh, kind of agency people focusing on biz dev. I had some other experts in there. You know, I talked about a little lull that we've got right now in new leads and had some people quickly go go through my website and had some feedback, which at first I was almost a little bit defensive because it was a case of a plumber with leaky pipes at home. You know, I was just kind of like, right, yeah, I know I, I talk about this and I give this advice all the time. I should it, it, I needed to focus more on results and value. But the reality was just by having a couple of other people whether they're experts or not, do a five-minute sense check, uh, or sorry, five-second sense check of your website and your messaging. Sometimes that's what you need, fresh eyes, quickly looking through, because that's what your prospects will do. They'll land on something, and they'll they'll have a few seconds. So if the message isn't resonating, if they can't find where the data is because it's hidden, there's a problem there. And so, you know, even before talking to your buyer, buyers and your customers, Get someone else, get a friend, a colleague to quickly look. They'll tell you what's immediately wrong with your messaging. Amy Brown runs a fabulous uh, rapid uh, scale-up called Authentics. And they uh, listen to about 10 billion phone calls a year on behalf of their customers in the US health sector. Now, what's really, really fascinating is when they put these montages of what the customers have to say together. And you know, board members are weeping because they're hearing these customer stories, but they're also uh, seeing what disaster. Uh, and uh, what she said was that 40% of salespeople's time in the US health sector is taken up just helping people navigate the website. Yeah. Now, just that single insight should be enough to make you think, maybe we need to look in the mirror. I'm going through the process at the moment. So, uh, you know, um, physician heal myself because I know my website's a pig. Look, tell me this. How can people get hold of you? I'd say, like, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. It's Conrad Sanders. I'm sure my name will appear somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best way. So find me on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. You can check out our website, creative-copywriter.net. We've got a blog, naturally. We write lots of valuable content on there um, and i like to i like to give kind of tips and tricks and linkedin as well but yeah hit me up on linkedin i'll be glad to connect lovely conrad sanders thank you thanks marcus so this is marcus kauke signing off once again from the inquisitor podcast if you've enjoyed this then please like comment share and subscribe and in the meantime if you are a principled salesperson and your integrity is being stretched because your company is asking you to do things that don't gel um, and they clash with your values because you're being asked to do things because the investors want stuff, unethical leadership, management, malpractice, whatever. And you want to empower yourself to navigate those pressures. 
within the sales world, stay true to your values and be fair to your customers, keep them safe, then drop me a line. There's a link in the blurb uh, to book some time for us to meet. If you find that useful, there's no pressure. I'm in no hurry for you to buy, but let's get together and try and understand what you're trying to accomplish in your life and your career. So you're not succeeding towards disaster. So in the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.